Hello, hello. Welcome, hotties. Today, we are going to be talking to Adam and Lynn, an incredible couple who I met at the Banff Keeping It Hot Couples Retreat we had in December 2022, and my friend Danielle Simone Brand to talk about sex and cannabis. So juicy stuff. It's going to be so good. But I have, I have a favor I need to ask you. I need you to help me gain some information. What I've always tried to answer is, what is it that makes marriage so hard and what can we do to make it better, hotter, more fun? And we've come up with a lot of ideas together for what we can do in the bedroom to make our lives more exciting and how we can have some transference from the bedroom to regular life to just foster communication and cooperation and just good-natured feelings towards your spouse. All right, what I've heard from you, my community, is that these things help for a bit, but then they don't stick. You know, you had the vibrator or the sexy Saturdays or the whatever, whatever, but you're falling back into the same patterns. And I think we've actually been asking the wrong question. Rather than asking, what do you want in your marriage? I want you to answer this for me. What do you feel you are giving up by being in your marriage? What incredible feeling or experience or side of yourself would you be fully immersed in if you were not in this marriage right now, right? Okay, waving a magic wand, you are single and your age and you have a beautiful house. How would your life be better? That's what I want you to answer. And this is counterintuitive because we're trying to figure out a way for your marriage to be better, right? But I think we need to get more honest about what we think we're leaving behind by staying in the marriage, like what we thought we left behind way back when we said, I do, baby, or what we think we are holding ourselves apart from in our everyday that makes us feel like, I am not getting what I want out of this marriage. I am just not. I want you to look at what you think you are missing. And I want you to be honest. So don't go and tell your partner this right away. Like think about it in your head and write it in your notes app. And if you are willing, please DM me on any social media platform, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Tell me what comes up for you. What do you feel you are missing out on by staying in your marriage. This episode is brought to you by Splash Blanket. Solo pleasure is the ultimate self-care. Strengthening your relationship with your own body and your own sexuality can lead to new heights in partner play. I'll tell you more later in the episode. Grab your 100% waterproof, luxurious sex blanket at splashblanket.us and use code keeping it hot for 11% off. Do you know the benefits of using sex toys made out of glass? First, glass is non-porous, so it's super easy to clean. You can even put your glass dildo in the dishwasher, which I probably would not because my kids unload it, but it's good to know that you can. 
I love the glass toys from Yoni Pleasure Palace. I had a Keeping It Hot couples retreat and I chose the Sacred Squirter as one of the toys for the welcome pack. It's made out of translucent pink glass and it's shaped like a dragon's tongue. Honestly, it looks like a beautiful little sculpture and the sensation from it is incredible. Glass toys present a firm touch, which is welcome for most G-spot and prostate play. And they often have special nubs and ridges for a whole different sensation. And did you know that you can also put glass toys in the fridge or preheat them with warm water to completely change the experience? Go to yonipleasurepalace.com and use code KEEPINGITHOT for 11% off. First, tell us, who are you? How long have you guys been together? Like, tell us about your awesome family, all of all of the things that you have going on. And you decided to jump on this crazy last minute trip to the first ever Keeping It Hot Couples Retreat in Banff, Alberta. And I just want to hear all about it. Tell everybody who you are, Adam and Lynn. So I'm um, Adam Winter. Um, it's my wife, Lynn. We've been married for 33 years. We have uh, two grown kids with their own families. So they're almost 28 and almost 31, which scares me. Two grandchildren. Um, Mm -hmm. We now live in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, We go into Canada a fair amount on motorcycles. Yeah, that was awesome. That was was one of the things that you told me the first night we met. I was like, that is cool, right? You guys, you guys both are fully suited up in your gear. And do you go just on day trips that are really far back in? Or do you go and stay at hotels up in Canada? Uh, so far, it's only been day trips. I only started this about five years ago because I didn't have any hobbies. Uh-huh. Um, I literally, I was a workaholic. I had my own business, sold the business, didn't know what to do with myself. Um, talk, turned to Lynn, said, I'd like to get a motorcycle. She said, okay. <laughs> so it was an okay right away, Lynn, on the motorcycle? Well, yeah, I mean, because he... He was really interested in it, and I was happy to see that he he wanted to pursue something outside of um, what we do together. Um, yeah. So I think it's important that you know people are able to do something, um, not necessarily always with their partner. Um, yeah. So, but you got in on it too, though, right? Well, yeah. So it's kind of funny. Um, I got a phone call, and it was one one of his friends who he's riding with and he had an accident. He fell and he, uh, he broke his foot. Ankle. His mm-hmm. ankle. Okay. So his friends were like, so worried that I would not want him to ride a motorcycle anymore. They kept telling me, you know, this is just a freak accident. You know, it's, it was low speed. You don't have to worry. And so they're trying to convince me. And I had, you know, no inclination to tell him that he can't ride. I mean, he's he's an adult, you know. Then he came to me a short while later and said, you know, Lynn, I used to ride sometimes on the back. He says, my my motorcycle is is not really meant for the two of us on the same bike. It's not big enough and um, it's not comfortable. So... He said, you know, maybe you want to ride a scooter or something. And I was like, I don't want to ride a scooter. That's kind of lame. 
Adam, were you saying scooter because you were like, she'll be more comfortable with it? And she's like, yeah, but it's not cool enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I never wanted to ride a motorcycle because I am not coordinated to do the clutch, the, you know, all the things you have to do on a motorcycle. So he, we found one that was automatic. That's a motorcycle. So I actually, to get my license, I did not have to learn how to ride a regular motorcycle. But as soon as I was done with that, I was saying like, I'm just going with the automatic so I can just concentrate on riding, accelerating, braking, and I don't have to worry about the clutch. So was going to the couples retreat in Banff scarier, less scarier, the same as the first big motorcycle trip you took? Scarier. Scarier. (laughs) What about for you, Lynn? It was, it was not, no, not scarier. It was, okay. So it was more, Adam booked it, right? Adam booked it and it was scarier for him. Is this true? Yes. Yeah. Okay. But go on, Lynn. Go, uh, I go was, on. It was, I, I was kind of excited to see what it would be like, you know? Um, she was excited to go to Banff. I, yeah. I wanted to go to Banff uh, because it was beautiful and the castle like hotel pictures but i was also curious i guess it is a is a good word for it it was something that was important to adam like i knew that so um you know and then it as as we said you know made the commitment i became more and more curious and looking forward to finding out what it was going to be like mm-hmm. and meeting other couples and not feeling like alone like you know I sort of was feeling I was the only person that had issues and it was nice you know that once we've had children you know for so many years and your life is is revolving around your children you almost like forget what it was like just to be the two two of you and in that romance feeling that you had that we had like before children I was thinking I was the only one that was experiencing this and, you know, kind of gave up on, got used to the fact of not having, you know, regular, you know, intimate relations. Mm-hmm. So, and one of the things you told me at the retreat was, I think it was just after like the first day and a half or something, something you were saying that you were talking to other people about like similar upbringings, how it was just so common and it even remains the majority that in families sex isn't talked about growing up right it's this thing that like you know you can't talk about but it's supposed to be good in some circumstances but just tell me a little bit about that i mean it growing up i it it just never was talking about this is kind of a funny story so i'm sixth of seven and i'm the youngest girl and so I was, all of a sudden I got my period and I didn't know what the heck it was. Like my mother had never talked to me about it. And when I woke up and I'm, I'm panicked and I go running into my mother's bedroom, my parents' bedroom, I was like, oh, mom, what's happening? And she said, didn't your sisters tell you? Oh, goodness. Didn't. She's like, who dropped the ball around here? And you were like, um. So that, that's a pretty good example of like how little it was spoken about. Do you all think that even if we have little to no um, 
sexual education or modeling or familiarity talking about it, that there's something about the chemistry at the beginning of a relationship that sort of like kind of brushes that under the rug and you guys can like, that most people can like get, get along well enough. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Tell, tell me more about that because, because it's like the, the time that not being certain about how we're going to communicate or what we really want, or not being like just open and on the same page and really feeling like we're, we're teammates with our partner and we get to do this together instead of like this push pull of who wants it, who's not getting it, that kind of thing, instead of it being a power struggle, you know, that the power struggle thing really happens for a lot of people once they've come out of the fog of the little kid years right because there's some like there's enough chemistry maybe to just get us get us married and get mm -hmm. us knocked up <laughs> right? right and then when real life starts hitting us in the face it's an easy thing to let fall away well we actually took three years we waited three years before we had our son so we could do a little traveling and get to know each other a little bit yeah and and we enjoyed that, and that was good. Yeah. But then, you know, 20 years of taking care of kids, you know, we needed to figure out how to reconnect. Yeah. Yeah. And Adam, did you first find my content? Was it back last October, or was it even before that? When was it? And how did that, did it just come up on your feed on Facebook or TikTok? So every year about this time, um, I used to get depressed. And we'd have a big fight because she would think everything's perfect and I wanted more and I wasn't articulating well enough what I wanted. We finally started seeing a, a counselor, it's a couple of counselors. I mean, there was a husband and wife that talked to people. Mm -hmm. Part of the issue was I didn't know what I wanted, so I had to figure that out. Yeah. And we were able to work on us. Um, and then in, in the October timeframe of 21, I was just sort of searching for a relationship advice, <laughs> trying to find someone who would have something and you came up and I started watching, you know, how to make monogamy hot mm -hmm. other videos and trying to get ideas. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't really think Lynn looked at much of what I sent her or. Well, I mean, I actually didn't. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and, and Lynn, Lynn, you, you, you can tell me, I'm not going to take any offense at all. <laughs> I've heard this story. I have heard this story so many different ways <laughs> for, for so many different days. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what it is if I just, I did take a little while to grow on people or what it is. <laughs> but so Adam would send you videos and what videos were they that he first sent you? Because this is something that I want our audience to hear is that it, for a lot of people, it's a real step towards vulnerability to say, hey, I'm going to send my partner a video about our relationship any aspect of our relationship that's maybe not practiced on a regular basis discussing, right? Like if you guys have a dishwasher system in your house, like you could be like, hey, I want to tweak this. Let's try the cutlery over here, blah, 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 right? You could talk about it. But there are all of these things that are like the elephant in the room. And when we find something on social media that we think might help, might just like start to unravel that thing a little bit so we can get to a different place or at least move it around. Like, you know, it's, it's this thing that we never really get progress or change around. What were the videos that he sent you Lynn? And what did you think at first? Like he just wants sex or he's being annoying or what, what is he searching? What was it? Well, 
I mean, he, he would send me the links and, you know, I would say, okay. And I, I wouldn't delete the emails. I mean, I kept them in my inbox. They're probably um, still there. They're probably still there. Um, Unread. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll do that when I get a chance. But like, no, I'm extremely busy with work and, and then also we have some rental properties. So I, I do the accounting for that. He does too. He does, he has a couple of properties he does the accounting for. So I just never got around to looking at it, but he would tell me and he read, he listened to your book and he would tell me more and more. So it was really him telling me about you and, and what you have that, you know, got me more interested. I didn't really have the time to you know, like go back and look at the links. And actually one time we were on our way out to dinner and he was listening to the book and it was the schedule. It was the chapter about when you guys were going to the clubs and everything. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what is this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, that how to keep monogamy hot ladies a swinger? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of created a little problem. <laughs> well, it confuses me. It confuses me. Like when I have a point, when I have, I'm talking to my podcast agency that helps um, book me on other people's shows. And then I'm talking to my producer that I'm working on my reality unscripted show with. And whenever she goes, well, because you help people with their sex life, I go, wait. What? No, I don't. And she's like, Ashley. I'm like, oh my God, it's so weird what I think I do, what it looks like I do, <laughs> how confusing it can be. I don't I don't know if I need to go to a shaman or a branding expert. But yeah, <laughs> it's confusing to all of us. So Lynn, you're like, wait a minute. You hadn't booked the retreat yet though, right? <laughs> no. Okay, okay, but you're like, hey, what's going on with this? Yeah, so then he he mentioned about the trip and I'm like, well, I'd like to go to see Vamp, but what is this? What, what what's going on at this at this retreat? At and, this point, you started the cover of your book. Yeah, yeah, and then so, and then the other thing is like, oh my god, what do I tell my boss where I'm going? <laughs> when I asked for time off. <laughs> and what did you guys tell? What did you tell each other about where you were going? What was the understanding between the two of you? My understanding was that it was going to be an opportunity to spend time together and and learn how to be more intimate. I did have that expectation. Yeah. So and I I feel that for me, I'm like reverting back, to, you know, before going to BAMP, I was always reverting back to what I did like in college with my boyfriend, you know, and trying to remember he was not my college boyfriend. I had a different boyfriend. So, um, you know, I'm trying to remember what did I do like 40 years ago? Right. Kind of like trying to think back to like, what do I know works? Kind of like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. And how did that help? Did that help or was it not very helpful? I knew I needed better ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And did you find some better ideas at the retreat or? So it was actually what actually afterwards, after we booked the retreat, you were having the. um, For him and for her. For him and for her. So for him was first, right? That was first. I I watched, Adam wasn't there. Um, He was out. So I watched it first. 
Um, and then we watched the replay. But when I watched it first, I was like, wow, these are really good variations of what I used to know. That's what I thought too. And just if we could pause right here, because there are going to be people watching and listening to this who haven't done an After Dark workshop. And that first After Dark workshop that we had with Elisa, Elisa Caro, and we did, she did oral and manual techniques for him. And the variety, I think there were like 13 or seven, 13 ways maybe, different types of manual stimulation and just like the different, and she had this black glass dildo, right? Which is like totally just like neutral, like you need something to show it on. And like the way she's so comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. We had, we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people do that workshop. And the feedback that I got back was like, wow, I can't believe how comfortable that was in matter of the fact, matter of fact. And that's the thing that if we grew up in an environment where we never saw people comfortable talking about sex, how would we ever think it's a safe thing to do? Right? We think either I messed up for what I want, or my partner isn't going to want to do this with it. Cause usually we're trying to get more connection, but sometimes when we're asking for it, we're going at it from the wrong way. And it actually feels more like a complaint, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. This is something that I, that I told myself, I think it was probably, probably like nine to 11 years ago. Cause I can't remember if I had just had Nico or I just had Luke, but Manny would come to me for sex a lot. And I would be like, oh my God, like I'm nursing and I'm pregnant and I have this other kid, right? Working full-time, all this stuff. What I would tell myself instead of like, oh my God, he wants it again. I would say to myself, he wants to be close to me very often. He needs me very often. He craves closeness with me very often. Like he thinks about being with me intimately in that closeness, in that just us, blocking everything else up very often, right? And just switching that was like, I don't know, like he wants, he cares, he craves, he needs, he, or whatever words for people that would feel good. And you and Adam and Lynn, think of it too. If when your partner was asking you for something that they persistently ask you for, right? Whether it's like, drive around with me again to look at Christmas lights or it's like please do this with me or let's have sex or you know it's like this this thing they want you to do or want to do together one of the best ways to get in the mood for partner play is to have more solo playtime especially if it's not easy for you to experience spontaneous desire grab a splash blanket that's my favorite 100% waterproof super soft sex blanket and make a solo date with yourself once a week or more. Have a bath, light a candle, listen or read something sexy and indulge in a little self-care in the form of solo pleasure. Instead of relying on your partner for satisfaction, flip the script and embrace the truth that your sexuality belongs to you and you alone. But sharing it with your partner can lead to incredible heights. Grab yours at splashblanket.us and use code keeping it hot for 11% off. That's splashblanket.us and use code keeping it hot. What if we put the word in there that we most want our partner to feel about us, you know? 
because I really wanted, I really wanted to feel like needed and loved by Manny in a really deep way for a really long time. And I didn't feel, I didn't feel the asking for sex as part of that. But now it does feel like part of it, you know, because we're at a more solid place. I'm at a more solid place. And that's what I think a lot of people realize from reading Swing. Yeah, it's a marriage memoir, sort of. But people who are single, people who have never been married, people who are divorced, it's like, oh, no, no, no. That union with self, it's never going to be perfect. We're never going to get this done. We're never going to get it done. We're never going to get it, like, be able to ring the bell like I figured out life, okay? Um, I think you just get to ring the bell when you when you die. You're like, woo, made it through that time. Like, <laughs> right? Need a break before the next incarnation. Um, but when we really put in that word that we really want from them, right? And then what if, what if we could feel, what if we could feel that in their asking, right? What if when they say, hey, could you do this for me? Could you do that? Hey, can we change our plans on the weekend? What if every time you said that, what if every time your partner said that, we heard, hey, my happiness and your happiness and our time together, the most important thing to me. So let's let's take a look at what our commitments were. What would be the word that that each of you would want to put in there? I was thinking of putting love in when you were talking about that. Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's giving of self. I guess it's not one word, but giving, I guess, would be the word. Oh, like they want to give to you? Yeah. Or yeah. oh okay, because that's what you'd like to feel. Oh, yes, because you know, as a gift as it's like a gift um, of closeness, you know, thinking of it that way and as opposed to, okay, he wants, he wants it again. And that means I have to figure out a way to, you know, make it, you know, it was like more of an obligation, you know, before and, and then, and Okay. So let's, let's pause right there and back it up like two sentences. Okay. Just because I think a lot of people feel this way. So many people feel this way. So just if we can like say the words underneath the words. So often when our partner asks us for intimacy and this could go either way with genders or whatever, right? Right. When our partner asks us for intimacy, what it sounded like you said, Lynn, and, and like clarify here, if I don't quite have it, is that it's like a request to then perform a role or job to some level of standard for them, right? Like they're like, I want you to be in what you're hearing is like, I want you to be like this incredible sex object for me or to make this really fun for me or something like, like, mm-hmm. am I, am I close? Yes. Yes. So, so it's, you know, in the past, I might have thought of it as like an obligation, right? And and now, after watching the video, I think of it as a mutual gift. So, it is. Uh, even if even if we were raised in really progressive homes and it was really equitable and it was like, I don't know, women like sex too and blah, blah, blah. Because that's how I was raised. That's how I was raised. I was never for one minute like, thought it was bad that I would that I would like sexual touch or anything like I was just always like oh that's one of the coolest parts about being grown up right like I was just more excited than driving like grown-ups get to have sex that's amazing 
but there's this thing that happens in in Western society, and I'm sure in other parts of the world, it has an even different flavor on it, that we fall into these traditional gender roles, even like Manny has taken care of the kids as much as I have over the years, because I always worked evenings and weekends, and I traveled so much for work. But we have shifted into this mindset. And he will even tell you that he thinks he initiates sex like 90% of the time. I think that's because he tells himself that men initiate more often. I initiate and get turned down very often because kids are home or this or that, or we should watch for the contractor because if the dog barks and I'm like, the dog barks, the dog get over it. Like, let's just get it on. So <laughs> he considers all of those bids that I make as, well, it wasn't actually a feasible time. So like, it doesn't count. But I was like, oh no, I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> um, so, but he has it in his mind that men are ready to go all the time, right? Whereas when he's really honest about it, there are a lot of times he doesn't really feel like it. Because he's tired from the day or stressed about the teenagers or had enough of me, right? Because right. it's like, we all, we all reach our limits with people. That's why conversations like this and opportunities like the Keeping It Hot retreats where we have other modalities coming in, right? We have the sound bath, we have the meditation, we have all of these opportunities, all of these invitations to consider things in a slightly different way. Um, and because I had to convince teenagers that my ideas were really great for them for so long, I have realized that in order to get agreement, we don't need a 180 swing or shift. Nobody, nobody needs that. If people are looking at things in entirely different ways, they could each, each shift two degrees and then Finally, the peripheral vision, they both see that same point over there. That's it. Two degrees. Two degrees. And we go, oh, we can agree on that. There's some common ground. Okay, so if we have that common ground, our nervous systems relax a little. Nobody's going to get in trouble. Nobody's going to get upset. Nobody's going to, like, do something that, like, isn't something that we can just respond to. Because that's always our responsibility, right? Just our ability to respond to what's going on in front of us. And a lot of us have this fear that there's some sort of flaw in us, whether we're not smart enough, patient enough, creative enough, loving enough, lovable enough, something, something, right? That's going to our, impede our ability to respond to the other person. And the truth is when we move those fears out of the way a little, our true voice, our braver voice, the things that our heart would love us to say but quite often our egos around it, right? It feels too vulnerable or it feels like they weren't really that nice to me this week. So why would I sh open my heart and really tell them the beauty I see in them right now? Because won't that just make them be an asshole more often? If you haven't already, you need to grab Keeping It Hot, the workbook. In a perfect world where we all got incredible sex ed and were free to explore our bodies in a natural and safe way as we grew up, hot sex could naturally be a side effect of a great relationship. But many of us have physical issues and emotional or psychological hangups or communication limitations that make it 
oh so challenging. The workbook is filled with fun, easy exercises to act as icebreakers to open up new conversations in and outside the bedroom. Go to the links below or keepingithot.com to see where you can get the paperback version of the workbook or download the printable digital version directly to your inbox for immediate delivery. Can you guys share with us any, any, well, it sounds like you guys have had a lot of shifts. What do you think is the biggest common agreement you have now or common, like sort of like a touch, do you guys have like a touchstone? You're like, well, remember, we're not going to argue about that kind of thing anymore. Or this is how we're going to talk if we're not understanding each other clearly. Or is there like any repatterning as far as your habits that you guys keep coming back to? I think we're still working on that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So where do you guys think you're at more like having dialing up the awareness for when you're communicating in a way that's like not going to work? Adam would have, he would get um, down like related to work or whatever. And I would try to talk to him and see what's bothering you, try to solve the problem for him. And that never worked. You know, it, it, you know, you'd say something like, well, you know, we're so lucky you should be. And that's just totally dismissing you know, how they're <laughs> oh, currently feeling. Oh, right? Man. You and Manny, you and Manny are the same, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, why don't you just feel happy? You could look this way and be happy. And it's like, oh, my God, when I feel depressed and you ask. <laughs> or anxious. Right. That, that's <laughs> one rule in our house when I'm like, wow, I'm feeling really anxious. The only thing Manny can't say is why. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um if i knew why okay but he'll just go ooh. now what he'll say is oh go for a hike you want to take a sauna because those are two things like physical things that couldn't that really that move move the energy faster when when your partner is having those ups and downs and you're like why can't you just stay up right or or what what do i need to do to get you back up so go on, Lynn, and you'd be asking those questions. So, or last week, he had a day like that. Um, oh, so, and he had a bad week, and he was just really down. And I came in from working, and as you know, I asked him, you know, what was wrong, and he, you know, said he just, you know, was feeling down on himself. So I just instead, you know, I just sat down next to him and and held his, you know you know went for, to hold his hand and just be close and and have physical contact like making sure that I was leaning into him instead of sitting next to him but not so important that you were talking about these details Lynn because this is just something that I realized with Manny recently that when I'm like oh I'd like you to be close I actually want him to be touching me like against and like firm touch like kind of like put your arms around me and kind of squeeze firm touch, right? Cause he'll come and he'll go like this. And honestly, it would be better if he didn't touch me. It like the, the, the light tap, it like sort of, it stimulates me more when I want like a human weighted blanket, like just jump on my back, like a vest, like, please just, uh, and that's a common thing. Like with people using weighted blankets, like kids who have um, sensory issues, you know, having like a weighted vest or a sandbag on their lap at school. There are so many reasons. 
you know, when you're sitting in a big group of people, maybe it's like an extended family gathering and you have one of the babies or toddlers on your lap. I feel like I'm in a throne. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm like in this alignment in this bubble and touchable safe, just like rooted in, right. Cause you have like this little one who you care about and they're sitting on you and they smell so good. And it's just like that, you know, that, that weighted feeling here is the thing that people miss so often that you are hitting on the head here is that cooperation, helping each other feel safe, bringing the nervous system level down a little bit is actually so incredibly simple and easy. Simple and it's easy. Instead of more words, come sit close, lean against your husband who's having a hard week, right? Because the truth is, even those of us who have really intense mood swings, it doesn't take us that much to get back to a level where we feel better, right? We may not be like cooking with gas, our 100% best flow life, but like life, life, life is in and out, right? Where, where, where we're at, and that's normal. So then you're there and you're, you're leaning against him. And then in the next few minutes or evening, what what transpires? How does it go? I mean, I, I relaxed. I mean, when she just told me, you know, that's what I needed. I didn't want someone to solve the problems. I just wanted someone to be there and hold me and, you know, yeah. now make me feel important instead of the crap I get at work, which is why I was down. <laughs> okay. Did Kobe get, did Kobe win six championships? I think, I think maybe six in, in his retirement, as he's winding down, he kept saying in interviews, I wish I would have got the seven. Like I really wanted seven. <laughs> if the first six didn't do it for you, the seventh is not going to do it. Right. Michael Phelps is the greatest example of this, right? After his last Olympics, where he is finally, it's the second last or last Olympics. When he has like blown every record out of the water, part of the pun. Okay. His suicidal ideation was at an all time high. Because, yeah, 70 medals won't do it. If you think inside of you, and all of us have this a little, but if you have a pretty certain, solid, you know, belief about this size, like and about the weight of a rock in you, that says, you know what? There's a possibility that I may be a worthless piece of shit. Possibility. We're going to find evidence for it all over the place. We're going to find evidence for it in our partner, not responding to us the way we want, or our boss. We're, we're going to find it all over. And that's what Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love, says. When we are looking for critique, when we are looking likes, shares, blah, 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 what we're not, we're, we are not looking for the best in ourselves. We're looking for confirmation of the worst in ourselves every time, every time, because you can have like, how many, like, thank you for your patronage. Thank you for your support this season. Emails from like customers or people you work with. The one person who complains, it's like a kick in the gut, right? And this is what I see even on social media because we get hundreds of messages a day from people saying, thank you. Wow. I would get like one thing from a writing colleague or something that was, and that would be what would be stuck in my head. And I was like, wait a minute, this is familiar. 
this is how I used to be with my skating team. If I had 149 happy parents and one pissed off one, all of my energy and my focus and my conversation to my assistant coaches would be about that asshole parent. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Whether they were the asshole or I was the asshole, doesn't matter. Maybe I was the asshole that weekend. Doesn't matter whether I was or what it wasn't. The thing is, we are so conditioned to look for the danger that we focus, focus, focus on misery and on where we can maybe have more misery sprout out. The things that are in our heart, the things that are on our mind, the things that like are our unique genius that are going to come out. Save that shit for people who appreciate. So you have to actually look for the people who are appreciating because when we're scavenging around for like, is there any proof here I'm awful? Because that's what we're basically doing. Like dumpster diving in like the comments or in, you know, a comment thread, you know, with a Facebook family group or wherever. Or if it's, we're walking past the mirror and we catch an uh, unflattering angle and go, see, ugly. (laughs) We could just look anywhere and see anything, right? So what are we going to, where are we going to put our energy? Because if we're looking down, we're going to get pulled down there. And this is something, actually, I realized when um, we were in Banff, because you guys were at the gondola and the lookout at the same time as us, right? Mm -hmm. I think, did we we run into each other there? Yeah, yeah. And I am afraid of heights. And... It has gotten more intense as I've gotten older and I don't want to make my kids afraid of heights. So I, I do things that are a little scary for me with them so they can kind of experience it, but it's very intense. Um, my only panic attacks I've ever had have been with heights. So I was out there, the, the view and the clear day we had, and it was just so incredibly beautiful. And I love breathing cold air because the only time I really did that for the last 20 years living in the US, moving from Canada, was when I was at work, when I was at the rink, when I was in my favorite place in the world, the place where I I knew what I was doing. And I knew how to make people happy. And I knew how to help them get closer to the person they knew they could be, you know, I could like take them a little closer every season. So when I breathe cold air, it's like my lungs actually fill to the bottom. And they're like, ah, breath. Breath that feels like a breath. So I was out there just breathing because I was trying not to have a panic attack. And I, for the first time, like I've never realized this, when I'm in a situation where that feels too high, I looked up. And I never knew how much better it felt looking up than looking down. Mm-hmm. Because the looking down, my whole body shakes, my whole body shakes. And I look up and I go, oh, I know this view. I, 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 this is the view I have all the time that I like don't look up, but I like know it. I know, I know that vantage point. I know it. And I'm, I'm safe. I'm safe like that. Like I can just sit here. I can dance. I'm like, I'm so safe. So what I want to invite everybody to do to figure out what conversations, what friends, what activities, what intention setting and self-check-in are you going to do to keep yourself in the integrity of looking up? 
of looking for the better. Being in a situation with your partner that's a little, a little heated or a little sticky, and you assume the best. That's mm-hmm. really where I want to be. That's really where I want to be wrong moving forward in my life, where I gave them too much credit. Yes, that feels good to me, actually. Yeah, I gave them too much credit. Ooh, okay. So you were really, you were really saying nothing that you said. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then I bring it down, but let's overshoot. Let's overshoot on how good we think the people around us are and how good we are, right? Like, let's overshoot. Maybe there are all of these new possibilities that are going to be unlocked by you going, ooh, no, no, no. I float towards the appreciation. Mm-hmm. And then we feel, we feel more appreciated because like those are the people we're hanging out with. Those are the things we're doing for ourselves, for each other. I want you to think of one thing that, that is going to help you look up. Whatever feels like courage to you right now, whatever feels like bravery, whatever feels like looking up, like assuming, mm-hmm. assuming the best, right? Or like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but got a good feeling about this, right? You know, you know that? We, we've all had that. We just got a good feeling. Today, I get to introduce you to my great friend, Danielle Simone Brandt, author of Weed Mom, the Canna Curious Woman's Guide to Healthier Relaxation, Happier Parenting, and Chilling the Fuck Out. And she's going to talk to us about sex and cannabis. And you are in for a great chat here. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Hit the music. Got lube? Or at the very least, do you have an opinion on lube? I used to think it was sticky, messy, and plain unnecessary. That is, until I tried Coconut. Back in 2020, I received my first three-pack of Coconut, oil-based lube, water-based lube, and their hemp-infused body oil, and I was sold. Since then, I've used Coconut every single time I've been intimate. Why was it love at first touch? Well, it's made with natural and organic ingredients, so I can feel good about what's going on and in my body. It also feels, smells, and tastes great. I have really sensitive skin, so I was worried about how my body would react, but honestly, it leaves my vagina feeling better, like more moisturized and more balanced. Go to coconut.com and use code KEEPINGITHOT for 15% off. That's coconut.com. Hey, Canadian listeners, would you like some coconut too? You can go to keepingithot.ca and use code KEEPINGITHOT to get 15% off. That's keepingithot.ca. Hey, Danielle, I'm so happy to have you here today. We're going to be talking in a lot of different directions, a lot of topics. First, tell us about you and your amazing book that I have in front of me. I have right here too. Oh, yay. Yes. My book is Weed Mom. My name is Danielle Simone Brand. And, um, you know, I, it has a super long subtitle that I don't have to say people can read it, but it's basically about, um, you know, introducing folks to to the legal marketplace, especially moms, because that's my community. I'm a mom and, um, I truly saw the pain points that other moms and myself were going through at this moment in my life when I found cannabis. And I realized it helped me with sleep. It helped me with sex. It helped 
helped me with, you know, minor pain and helped me with mood and with parenting so many things. And so, you know, I realized that, that moms were hungry for this information. Lots of moms that either experimented a little in college or maybe never tried it at all. And just really didn't know where to start with the sleep marketplace. So I wanted to kind of hold people's hands and take them through this process. And then also talk about the cultural conversations and how like all that is changing and we can openly discuss this topic now. And we should in order to change stigmas. I love this so much. So Danielle and I are writing friends. That's how we met in a writing group on Facebook a couple of years ago. And it's like, oh, we just need someone who, who talks about rock and roll because like I'm writing about sex. Danielle's <laughs> writing about drugs, right? That's right. <laughs> and, sex. and Danielle contributed to the workbook as well with the section on intimacy and cannabis. Okay. And Danielle, I fit into that second category that you were talking about someone who had never used cannabis. Well, I tried to smoke a joint once like summer after high school <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, if I couldn't inhale properly, it didn't do anything. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah. First um, time it's so common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just never interested. I never used any other kinds of drugs at all, but I got to this point in marriage, parenting, life, career, where I was like, oh man, like I need a little assistance here. I felt like my skin was itchy from the inside. Like all the time, my anxiety was high depression, like just everything. This was even before pandemic. So I started taking CBD oil, CBD oil had no THC and I loved how it just took the edge off, how it just like kind of made me feel more like myself. And then I, everybody will hear this for the first time, but this is not the first time for Danielle to hear this. <laughs> I have graduated. I have graduated to tincture that contains some THC too. It's like pretty low. Um, but I didn't understand the dosage of it one day and I accidentally got myself high. So I've been high like one time and I was a voice messaging Danielle like, <laughs> with lots of math. Right, Danielle, like, yeah, you were like, don't have milligrams twice a day, five milligrams, wait, CBD to THC. <laughs> I was like, the ratio, the potency. I was like, just trying to make it make sense. I was like, and I felt kind of paranoid and fidgety. Like I didn't even feel, you're like, I hope you're enjoying this. You're having some good sex. I was like, I'm home alone with the kids and I am like so paranoid. No, this is not fun. Right. It's a bit of a learning curve. And, and that's, you know, that's why I wrote the book is to help people through that learning curve. But I am so happy to, you know, be that personal guide too, because I realized that, you know, it's a little opaque. The subject needs some, you know, some, some getting used to. It is. And I'm just, I'm just so grateful that the stigma is loosening around this. Well, I just love that stigmas are loosening all over the place, right? Yeah. I like to talk yeah. about sex. Like I'm talking about the weather. You talk about cannabis. Like you're talking about the weather. Like we're just like taboo meteorologists or something, right? <laughs> right? That's and great. I, I have to tell you that so many people come into my DMs and they're like, oh, I would love to do what you're doing or talk about the things you're talking about or share my stories, but I'm so afraid. Mm -hmm. Can you talk us through a bit about the kind of work that you did before writing Weed Mom? And what was that transition like to being like, you're, you're known like as the Weed Mom <laughs> to so many people now, right? Like, yes. Right? Like I'm like the keeping it hot lady or whatever. Like, it's like so funny how we feel called to support people in a certain way, but there's also, you know, stigma that we're either accepting or working through. 
in order to do that. That is so true. I mean, you know, so it, I very incrementally came out of the cannabis closet. I would say once I started writing about it, even I was writing about it from some, you know, remove, like as a journalist at first. And, um, but you know, the more I dove into the personal stories of women in particular who were benefiting from this plant, the more it became personal for me. And so I did start my own cannabis experimentation journey after starting to write about it because I was just trying to be a freelancer. I was just trying to, you know, get any sort of paid assignment that I could. And, And while learning about the plant, I fell in love with it. It wasn't the other way around. So then I started my personal experimentation, realized how beneficial it was for me too. And so very slowly, I kind of came out of that closet by, you know, publishing an essay that's, you know, I smoke weed and I'm a responsible parent, something like that on the week that was in 2018, I think. And, um, but still I didn't share it on my Facebook. I just, I had this cool publication in the week.com and I did not share it on my Facebook because I was, I was afraid of the blowback, the pushback, the, the judgment, you know, all those things. So get, get really specific for me, get really specific for me because I want, I want to just share with people like how obscure and specific our fears can get. When I was writing Swing, Danielle, I was really afraid of what this Catholic skating mom whose daughter I coached 10 years ago was going to think. (laughs) Her specifically. Like if it was going to just like, it was going to like discolor uh, her experience and her daughter's experience of having me as a mentor, because like I wrote about sex class, I like, it was so obscure and specific, like the fears that I had. Can you share a little bit of that with us? Like who or what did you think was going to happen if you shared this on Facebook? <laughs> well, for one thing, I was a yoga teacher and I was known in my San Diego community as a yoga teacher. Um, I had been to grad school, done academia for a little while, and then really switched gears and found my calling for, you know, about a decade in, in leading yoga and teaching in DC and San Diego. And, you know, I taught, I taught prenatal, I taught not a lot of kids actually, but, um, you know, tons of flow from beginner to advanced and, but, you know, but my yoga tradition was very steeped and like, you know, sobriety, that sense of, you know, temperance and be, you know, being only with yourself, right. You know, tuning out the the rest of the world, focusing inward, Diana, you know, Dadana, these like limbs of yoga. And so I was actually really afraid to come out to my yoga community, um, almost as much as I was to my parent community. They were, it was a double stigma. So, because I have, I've heard about, or I remember, I think it was a podcast with Gabby Bernstein talking about when she went on an antidepressant after the birth of her child, like it saved her life. Like, and like the most spiritual thing she ever did was like, say like ego to the side meds, please. Okay. Mm -hmm. But there was a huge amount of blowback in like the spiritual community, right. You know, the tie in, right. So it's like, even when you're reaching for the natural choice, there's that pushback too. And what I think I think being a human on planet earth requires a little support. (laughs) Like (laughs) you can say that. (laughs) I just think like none of us can just like, you know, just, just do this. Like I'm going to say bareback and the people are going to think I'm talking about like sex, but anyway, we can't just do this. We can't just be like, yeah, let's just go. Right. I feel like all hands on deck people, like whatever supports we can get, therapy, friends, writing podcasts, like self-help books, herbal remedies, like whatever we can do, you know? Right. Oh, totally. I mean, all the tools are are important, but, you know, I I think that I felt shame that, you know, that yoga and meditation were not 
enough for me all in in and of themselves. Oh, okay. And that shame, that shame that fill in the blank is not enough. My marriage isn't enough. My job Mm -hmm. isn't enough. The fulfillment that I should feel from being a mother isn't enough, right? Mm -hmm. It's like such a common fucking experience that when we have needs that aren't being met, like my, my tendency at the very, you know, from the start is like to just try to push them down and to shame myself for having that need. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that hunger, that desire, that, Oh, needing that, um, soothing. Right. That's, that's what I love. That's what I love about, um, CBD. And like I said, now with these small doses of THC, it just brings my brain is such a busy place to be that bringing it there. Yes. I feel so much better. Like I feel sharper. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, so much. And and I feel like I can get more juice out of life basically with cannabis as one of my tools. It's not the only tool in my toolbox. You know, I have many, many and holistic natural approaches have been part of my life for a very long time, you know, with yoga, with meditation, my dad owns a natural food store in Indiana. So for, you know, since my teens, he's been, you know, mentoring me and helping me with supplements and foods and nutrition and all those things. So that, you know, all that is important, but the, but cannabis actually really, it, it, it helps me tune in to the moment and just enjoy those moments so that I do feel more fulfilled. Honestly, I feel more fulfilled in my role as a mother. I feel more fulfilled in my partnership and, and, and marriage. I feel, you know, just happier as a human being. And like, why would we deny ourselves that, you know, why would we say, I I don't deserve that, you know, because, because of stigma or because of shame or because of the sense of not, you know, not being able to take care of oneself. Yeah. And I really, I always thought that taking anything would like take me out of the moment. You know what I mean? That I just would feel more numb, but that's the really cool thing with, and I don't know what dosage actually qualifies as microdosing. I don't really know. I was going to be like, that's the thing about microdosing, but I have no idea, even if that's what, what, what I've tried. Um, yeah. but yeah, that it really can dial up your attention, dial down your anxiety, right? Like get you to mm-hmm. get you to like a better place. Um, it's, well, it's dose dependent and, yeah. you know, and it, it really depends on each individual's endocannabinoid system. That's the thing about cannabis is one size doesn't fit all, but when you dial in and find that sweet spot, that ratio of cannabinoids, you know, whether it's CBD and THC or some different ones, um, you know, you dial in your terpenes, there's, you know, definitely, uh, like I said, a learning curve to it. But once you do that, you know, the dose dependence part of THC means that up to your sweet spot, you, it's enhancing, it's enhancing to the moment, to your attention, to your sensation, you know, which is excellent for sex, obviously. Um, but, you know, if you cross a certain point with THC, people can get a little spacey, they can numb out, they can, you know, kind of check out a little bit. So it's a matter of like so many things dialing in, you know, finding that sweet spot for you. Right. And I love, okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to go to like the beginning of your book, but I really love her, the preface of Daniel's book starts with dear alcohol, right? And <laughs> we're breaking up. We're breaking up. Okay. So here's <laughs> the really, really interesting part of this, right? Mommy wine culture, wine o'clock, blah, blah, blah. Mommy juice bullshit. It's been driving me wild for years. Like, mm-hmm. okay, not funny. Actually, actually not funny. Right. Yeah. I have history of addiction, you know, in my family, it's prevalent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
and alcohol, like, you know, even if it's like one glass of wine, even if it's like a, you know, like a spritzer or whatever, takes that edge off like really, really easily for me. Like to the point where I'm like, that is a little scary. Like how effective Mm. that is. Like I, I, like I'm telling you, Danielle, like one or two sips and it's like, Oh, so I've been paying Mm. attention to this for, I would say, I would say probably like seven or eight years. I'll take a sip and I'll be like, wow, that is interesting. How much that like, you know, just relaxes me. And then I'm like, okay, I just want to be really aware of how and when I'm using this. And the idea of like, oh, you know, a couple of glasses of wine after dinner or like, you know, white cloth or white cloth or white cloth, like a barbecue or whatever is still like, so, you know, ingrained, like baked into our society that like, it's no big deal. Um, and still there's this stigma, like even now, like, you know, sharing, oh yeah, I, I use CBD tincture. I'm wondering if people are going to go like, oh my God. Okay. But <laughs> the way that I, the way that I can carefully dose with, with cannabis and the way I feel after let's talk about that too. Like the during Mm -hmm. and the after it's so much different. Even if I have one drink, like one glass of rosé before bed, I wake up feeling a bit anxious, like more Mm. anxious than normal. Yep. Anxiety. That's a thing. Anxiety. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, alcohol spikes cortisol plain and simple. So it, you know, it's a temporary relief from stress for a lot of people, but long-term it exacerbates the problem. And that's, you know, it's a vicious cycle that can really get out of control quickly. I think for a lot of moms who, um, like you said, like it's freaking hard out here. We are dealing with so much. And I totally understand that desire to reach for something that helps you let go of that mom brain that, you know, constantly running to-do list that, you know, low to medium to high level of anxiety that we just, you know, accept as part of our everyday lives. So, you know, so wine, I get why it's, it's this really common tool and it's legal and it's, you know, it's, it's acceptable. Um, but, you know, physiologically it's, it's actually much worse for us than cannabis. Cannabis supports health in the right doses. It actually brings your endocannabinoid system to a place of homeostasis so that you are less stressed. You know, your appetite is normalized, your sleep, you know, and desire for rest is normalized. Your mood is stabilized. Like all those things promote health and well-being. Alcohol diminishes, you know, long-term diminishes all those things. It's, it's toxic to the organ systems. And I'm not like, you know, ragging on alcohol. I I do have, have, you know, very rarely I'll have a glass now, like super rarely, but I pay for it. I know that I feel differently the next day. It does spark migraines for me often too. So, you know, I avoid it mostly. So, and and then you, you also talked about that, the after effects. And the truth is that with the right dose of cannabis afterwards, you just feel normal. You just feel like, you know, you hardly even notice it wearing off with alcohol. There's often a, you know, dramatic difference if you've been drinking all night and then, you know, you get home, you usually feel pretty awful by the end. And then of course the hangover and the cortisol and the blood sugar instability, um, you know, it adds up all of the things. Absolutely. And the glucose. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So what I, what I hear quite often from people in my DMS is that women primarily use alcohol regularly to try to relax for sex. Mm. And, um, and some, some of them are like, I just have to, I know I just have to. And some are like, I thought everybody did this. And then some are like, 
I know this is, I know this is a little weird. This feels like a crutch. Can we talk about, let's talk about cannabis and sex. Let's talk about, you know, that transition from taking care of everybody else's needs, whether that's your family members, you know, whether that's your children, aging parents, pets, people at work, like really that giving, 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 it's not that easy all the time to just flip a switch into like receiving mode, right? Mm -hmm. Receiving mode. So, so many people message me men, I, but 80% of my direct messages and emails are from men. And they'll mm -hmm. say, Hey, saw your video it was amazing. Like gives me more uh, insight into this, this dynamic with my spouse, or I understand now what my partner has been saying about this or this. Yeah. Um, I would love suggestions on, on these things. And quite often what they, what they say, the men say is like, I would love for my wife to like give to herself. Like I would love for her, but she's giving to other people. And I love when, when partners realize that the hesitancy or lack of interest in physical intimacy, a lot of times doesn't always have to do with them not wanting sex with you, but like mm -hmm. the permission to say, oh yes, I want to do something right now that feels really good for my body, right? <laughs> yes. Because normally we're like, how do I ignore that ache in my back? How do I ignore this? How do I get these things done, right? It's just like body, you're such a pain in the ass. Like, why do I have to deal with you? Because there are all <laughs> these things that I need to get done in the world. Right, right. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's our paradigm. That's our sort of masculine paradigm, right? You know, outward focused, I think, you know, I mean, it just sort of the, the sort of patriarchy <laughs> implants yeah. this, right? That self-care yeah. isn't important, that rest is not important. Um, but cannabis helps facilitate that for me. And yeah. for so many women that I've talked to, it actually helps us slow down enough to realize what we need and what we want yeah. Um, and facilitate that self-care, whether it's, you know, I, I take a few tokes and I get on my yoga mat, you know, and then I feel really juicy and, and, you know, good. And then I crawl into bed and I want to smuggle and maybe more, you know, yep. or whether I, I tune in, what I really need is time away from my family. So, you know, cannabis helps me realize that too. And just taking a walk in my neighborhood with the dog is something that helps clear my mind and, and, you know, feel like myself again, mentally, so that, then I'll, you know, probably be in a better mood for, for intimacy later on. So I, I completely agree with you. Self-care is hard AF for moms to do and important, really important. And cannabis helps. Yeah. And what are the, what are the different products or different ways that people are using cannabis with their intimacy? What are, what are different ways that they can use them? Yeah. So lots of different ways, you know, in inhalation is what is going to give you that, you know, very quick onset and the sort of body and mind high, you know, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, and then you can, of course, titrate that lower or higher based on what experience you're, you're looking for. But um, I really like inhalation for sex because of the quick onset. Um, and it doesn't have to be smoke. It can be vaporizing um, or mm -hmm. vaping. Those are two different things um, that I talk about in the book. There's also low dose edibles. Um, and we now have more quicker acting edibles. Like it used to be, you had to eat something, wait an hour to two hours, even to see what effects it would have um, with tinctures under the tongue and other, you know, faster acting um, edibles, like drinks are in that category. Actually, cannabis drinks are in that category. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't even know there were cannabis drinks. 
yes. right now. Interesting. Yes, okay. there are. Mm-hmm. And some of them are mimicking even, you know, like rosé type flavors. I had some in Canada that were fantastic. Those are the best ones I've had so far, actually, uh-huh. up there. Um, and every market is different because of how legalization has played out, you know, state yeah, yeah. by state, every market is different. But, you know, but yeah, fast acting edibles are a great way to, um, you know, to, to, to tune in for sex because edibles give more of a body high, generally speaking. Um, and that means relaxation for a lot of people. Yeah, let's talk about mind high or head high, body high. Um, because I was talking about this with one of my friends who inhales, who smokes and who has since, you know, like early, early teens um, and has had like gone through the stigma, even like personally, like I shouldn't be doing this. And then Mm -hmm. really saying like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then like culturally this shift has come in. (laughs) Right. And then she's like, that's the thing that I thought was like my nemesis for so long. And now it's like, you know, good for everybody, whatever. Anyway. um, So, but, but she was saying how um, she's trying to figure out if inhalation is like the way that she wants to continue or not. Mm -hmm. And talking about how that head high, which I've like never really had. So let's talk about like just the differences between that, because there are probably some people um, watching this who have had, an experience with cannabis that maybe wasn't the greatest. And they're thinking like, okay, I would like that sort of support. I would like to try something, but I don't want it to be like this. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, if, if, if you're kind of curious or kind of newbie listeners get one thing from this, it's that cannabis is not one size fits all. If you tried it once and you didn't like it, you know, there are so many other products, so many other ways to consume that, you know, I really encourage people to experiment a little bit. Um, so, um, edibles generally speaking tend to be more body focused. Um, they, they're processed through your digestive system and through your liver, the, the, the cannabinoid Delta nine THC is actually contributed to a different cannabinoid 11 hydroxy THC, which is a little bit more potent even. So that's why we always say start very low and slow with edibles. Um, but you know, like I said, they tend to give a more relaxed body experience. And a lot of newbies um, do like that for sex. Um, again, just dose dependent, don't overdo it. Sometimes um, in the dispensary, they're dosed at 10 milligrams per serving, sometimes five milligrams per serving, depends on your state. I would definitely start lower. 10 is probably too high if you're new. Um, That's what I accidentally yes. dosed myself with <laughs> when I was messaging Danielle that night. I totally misunderstood the dosing of the tincture I was taking. <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, I just took 10 milligrams of THC. I was like, and this is just, just this, I'm high. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So even starting as low as like 2.5 or five, right? 2.5 or five, if you're sensitive or if you're new, absolutely. But you know, 10 milligrams is not going to, you know, cause anybody to freak out probably, but you will feel it. You will. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody will freak out except me. I'll be like, is this high? I'm like, (laughs) right. After all, uh, after a while, I was like, "Yep, yeah, she's definitely high." Yeah, you're like, you're, you're not gonna die. You're fine. Try to enjoy it. I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> That's why we start low and go slow. But you know, it's it happens. Yeah. It's it's a really common experience. Um, and you know, and so I'm hoping to like ease that. You know, that yeah. first experience for a lot of folks. When it comes to inhalation, 
generally we've had these two categories for a long time with flower, with cannabis flower, just sativa and indica that those are starting to break down in terms of like how we understand them. Sativa was traditionally associated with the head high with the, you know, like more kind of creative can be focusing, um, but it can also be kind of like, you know, very, very stimulating, let's say for some folks, whereas indicas are, um, they were known as in the couch, right? So that's all about like chill, you know, watch TV, have some popcorn and Ben and Jerry's, you know, maybe you want to snuggle, but you probably won't feel like super excited for sex, right? You'll be fine. Yeah. And then we've got hybrids that are a mix of those two. Those categories though are breaking down. It's much more about the ratios of CBD to THC and the terpenes. The terpenes are the aromatic compounds in cannabis that, you know, that you know about from reading some of my stuff. Um, but, you know, these terpenes are in all the plants that we know in pine needles, in basil, in lemongrass, in lavender, you know, like right? lavender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And they really influence the direction or the experience of the high. And so ter- um, cannabis strains that have terpenes like uh, limonene and pinene are going to be more stimulating and more sort of head focused. And strains that have more um, linalool, that's the one that's related to lavender um, or myrcene, those are strains that are going to have that more couch lock chill experience. Um, and so, but everybody's endocannabinoid system is a little different. So there's still a layer of experimentation that has to happen, even knowing that. Yep. 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 And here in Pennsylvania, we have dispensaries. People are so friendly, Danielle. And so not, I mean, and they're packed. I'm like, how do you get into this <laughs> business? Anyway. Um, like, oh my so, gosh. It's a nightmare business. I know I can't. <laughs> I don't really want to, I have too many businesses already. (laughs) You do. Okay. And then actually another way is getting back to how to consume for sex is, is serums and lubes, putting it directly on. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about this because I was sent Boria brand, maybe. I think it was Boria brand by um, actually author Zoe Kors. She wrote Radical Intimacy and her publisher sent me an advanced copy and the Boria. So the only thing that, that, that trips me up is I have to put it on 15 minutes before. Yeah. And I don't plan that. I don't plan that well for that. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but in the bedroom, there's always room to learn. Show your willingness to try new things with the After Dark Workshops. They're private, recorded, guided pleasure practices from trained tantric coaches and sex therapists. Go to keepingithot.com for our single workshops and bundles. Topics include oral and manual for him, Oral and manual for her. Intro to dirty talk. Intro to squirting. Secrets of female pleasure. Control your ejaculation masterclass for men. And more. Workshops start at $25. It's the cheapest and sexiest date night you can get. Check out the After Dark Workshops at keepingithot.com. I had used it a couple times, I think, with like the right timing window. And yeah, sensitivity was increased. So let's talk about those, those options. Yeah. And was that a CBD product only, or did it have both CBD and THC? Do you remember? I need to look at the label. I don't know. Because yeah, both are available. If they shipped it to you, it might have just had CBD, but maybe yeah. they fudged the rules and got you some CBD and THC too. Yeah. Um, you know, so generally speaking, CBD, for when it comes to topicals on, you know, on all of our lady parts um, is, is more pain relieving. 
Um, so if you have pain associated with sex, CBD lubes and serums tend to be really helpful. Um, THC tends to enhance sensation a little bit more. Um, and you also have combo products that, that do both, or that will like, you know, give you a boost in both areas. Um, you know, THC enhances blood flow. Um, we have endocannabinoid receptors all through the reproductive tract and the genitals. So like we have parts in our bodies that are meant to receive these cannabinoids and interact with them, which is fascinating. And also we produce endogenous cannabinoids. So, you know, our system exists for our own cannabinoids and for plant-based cannabinoids, in my opinion. There are suppositories as well. Some people use cannabis um, suppositories where you would definitely have to prepare in advance and, you know, let it melt and, you know, really like coat everything nice and well before you'd want to be intimate. Um, But you can actually even get high from that if there's enough THC and if it's inserted high enough in your body, it'll reach the the circulating bloodstream that could get you high too. Okay. Fascinating, huh? Fascinating. (laughs) <laughs> All right. How, how much THC do you need to put in your vagina to get high? <laughs> how much? Like- I don't think we've determined that, but I would say, you know, a few milligrams, you know, just kind of on the vulva is not going to get you high. But if you have, you know, 10 milligrams of <laughs> yeah, THC in thinking. a suppository that's going high up in your body. Yes. I'm thinking I would probably like, yes, I guess I'm like, okay, this fascinating, fascinating. And it doesn't even have to be your vagina if you just can insert it. It does not have to be your vagina. Exactly. Right. Um, right. Yes. Okay. Yes. Just- but but better for the receiving person, I think. Um, so the person, um, you know, so so vaginally or anally, I think that it's yeah. it, they, they are effective. Um, but, you know, for people with penises, they don't seem to be quite as helpful. I think that, you know, when it comes to sex and cannabis, it's like, it's meant for women. It's, it's a woman's world. The woman's right? game. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why flowers look the way they do, right? It's well, like... the cannabis plant that we get the flowers from are the female ones. Like they kill the male plants. <laughs> the male okay, plants are okay, not wait. helpful. <laughs> wait, this makes so much sense. This makes so much sense, right? As far as just like, you know, horticulture, propagation, like cures like. No, we're getting into homeopathy there. But anyway. Um, Uh, I I do. I do really like that. Really, really love that. Okay. So tell me this cannabis with penis holders because, okay, well, well, whiskey dick is what I was going to say. There we go. That's the term. (laughs) That's the term. Whiskey dick, right? How, how, and I don't know what the physiological response is, but with alcohol, sometimes, you know, there's loss of erection. It's, it's more difficult to, have physical intimacy to partake in physical intimacy. What is, what's that like, um, with cannabis and men? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I really think that cannabis is best for women when it comes to sex, there are men who do regularly partake and enjoy, you know, mild elevation for sex, but generally speaking, I think that it requires some degree of focus to sustain an erection. I mean, I don't know, but I, I've heard (laughs) and, you know, and that if your focus is really, you know, scattered, if, if you've, you know, crossed that THC threshold into that, like more checked out space, it can be harder for men to actually, you know, engage. Yeah. So it really is. Okay. It really is 
benefit to the ladies here. Okay. I like that so much. I think so. I think so. But, you know, like I said, as you know, dose depend, a small amount, I think, you know, for men who are interested, I think that that's, it's worth experimenting with, but you don't want to sort of cross that line. Whereas, you know, there's a little bit more sort of forgivability with, <laughs> with women. If, you know, if, if, if I've crossed that line and I'm like pretty mellow and pretty chill, I can still enjoy it quite a lot. You know, my husband likes to be active and then that process and give me pleasure. And I'm like, Yes, I will receive. Yes, Thank you. Yes. Well, and, and shouldn't we all just like lay back and receive more? I, I think yes. Um, yes. Training, training that part of us. Okay. So, question here. Let's pivot to talking. So, my kids, ever since I brought CBD products, and then now what we have THC products into the house, I've always told them what it is. Um, cannabis, you might hear it called marijuana weed. Like I tell my kids everything, right. Mm -hmm. I tell them like why I have it. I also tell them because my oldest is almost 15. I've Mm -hmm. all, uh, I've I've told him, Hey, if, if one of your friends ever offers you weed, if you're curious, like I actually have stuff I paid for here in the cupboard tincture. If you ever want to know what that feels, I I want you to try this with me before you ever inhale something that a friend hands you like that. That's just how I drank alcohol in my parents' house, you know, before I ever drank it with a friend. Like that's how I just like to do things like kids do it here safe. Um, so how do you talk to your kids? How do you talk to your kids? How do you recommend people? What, what are the different ways that you've seen? What is your approach to this? Danielle? Yes. I mean, this is such an important topic. I have a whole chapter on it in the book because you know, the, to me, it's important to, to change the narrative. There has been such a stigmatized false narrative about cannabis in our society for so long. And the way we change that is educating kids differently, teaching them to, you know, to appreciate and respect the plant. I, you know, I, I, I'm not teaching them that like, it's a free for all that we have boundaries. Absolutely. But we talk about cannabis a lot. They totally, of course, know what I do for a living that I wrote a book called weed bomb. It's everywhere. Um, and that, you know, and they overhear me in conversation talking about cannabis all the time. So it's a part of our daily lives. And I know that it's not going to be a part of every American household's daily life, but I do still think it's important to address and to normalize, even if you don't consume it in your house, because it's everywhere. Now you can see billboards in a lot of States advertising cannabis. There are dispensaries, you know, integrated into neighborhoods now. And I think that's a good thing because I think cannabis is a wellness tool, but again, it it does deserve respect and education. So, you know, I tell my kids it's a plant, you know, this is why I use it. I use it for, for some medicinal reasons and some, you know, quote unquote recreational or just, you know, relaxation reasons. Um, they know that it's not safe for developing brains, at least, you know, in larger quantities and something that, you know, we want to be cautious of before they're around 21, even 25, I have to say, because of brain really? development. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell, but, tell, you us, know, tell us more about that. Tell us more about that. Cause I didn't know that. Well, the prefrontal cortex um, isn't, you know, completely developed until about 25. And that's about, you know, executive decisions and rational thought and decision making, things like that. Um, So, you know, younger brains are more subject to potential addiction issues with all substances, including cannabis. Um, And younger brains potentially can be affected developmentally um, by cannabis. But, you know, we're talking about like large sustained quantities, daily, you know, high THC use, daily dabbing, things like that. Um, You know, experimentation with teens and cannabis is not something that I'm, you know, terrified about. If it's clean cannabis, like that's what I'm most interested in is like, is it, is it actually real weed and not, you know, some street crap, right? Um, Right. 
Yeah. So, you know, so I, I preach moderation. I also say, you know, when you're ready or when you and your friends start talking about it, talk to me because I can give you the whole scoop on what's safe and what's not safe and the, the you know, appropriate dosage. I want my kids to experience the first time they experience cannabis and the first time they experience alcohol. I want them to understand what they're doing. And like that, you know, you like you would teach a kid that the first time they drank, you know, an entire bottle of whiskey is not an appropriate dose. Right. So the first time you have an, a THC edible, 50 milligrams, hundred milligrams, not an appropriate dose. Those are out there, you know, but we need to, to understand like what's right for, for, for bodies, but it's a continuing conversation, just like the sex conversation or yeah. talking about other difficult stuff, you know, death, God, like whatever, like we, we, we have these opportunities in our daily lives, I think with our kids to just pepper in like little bits of facts, like, you know, Hey, CBD is anti-inflammatory and might help, you know, if you have a sore muscle or muscle, you know, I think topicals are great, you know, for kids, yeah. CBD topicals, um, you know, so dropping little bits of education, little bits of normalization, talking about how, um, you know, it's also, it's a lens to talk to kids about social justice and the fact that the drug yeah. war has been this, you know, completely messed up racist endeavor for a very long time, criminalizing disproportionately black and brown people. And, you know, my, my kids know about, you know, racism. My kids know about, you know, BLM. We like, we go out and we, we participate because I want them to be citizens of the world. And cannabis is just another, another lens to talk about important issues. It really is. And I'm glad that you brought up that part because I feel that way around the content that I make. I want to be proactive in questions my kids will have with things that come up with friends or just, I want to be their first line of information, right? So I continuously, any, any tiny window of opportunity, like, and what I consider a window of opportunity to discuss something and what my husband considers like are so different. He's like, that's not a window. Like that is like, that is like, you are in that you painted a window, right? There was a crack and you put a wedge in it and then you got there. Right, right, right. There wasn't even any light coming through. What is happening? But what I say to him, and I think part of this is because I coached adolescents for so many years, right? Like over two decades, I coached Mm -hmm. adolescents. And when I was getting paid to tell other people's kids what to do, like I took that job pretty seriously. It wasn't just about technique on the ice anything that a kid and I was like my athletes, but, but really I have, I've made it my job. And some people will be like, you shouldn't do this. Fuck off. I'm going to do this forever. Okay. If any kid within my view or earshot says, or does something that I see as requiring some guidance I step in. I could be like mm-hmm. in the supermarket. I could be, and no matter which direction it is, like if someone's like really kind, if someone else's kid mm-hmm. is super kind and like picks up something that someone dropped and handed, I'll be like, that was really thoughtful of you to do that. Like, yeah. I want to reinforce, I want to, I want, I feel like as an adult on planet earth, it's my job to reinforce great behavior in children. Right. I love because that. Yeah. Maybe it's their first time actually doing that right because like there's this like your own mm-hmm. internal resistance like to actually like put yourself out there and pick the thing up and take it to the person or whatever maybe and that's what I tell that's what I tell Manny my husband I say listen when you hear a kid say something it there's there's a chance that that is the very very first time they've tried those words mm-hmm. you know we try on all different things as adolescents 
And if they knew you were within earshot and you didn't correct them or say, whoa, we don't talk like that. That's all I'll say. I'd be like, whoa, hey, we, we don't say those words in this house. That's not how we talk to people. If you were trying to say X, Y, Z, then you could say X, Y, Z, but we don't use that. This is why. Do you know what that word means? And like, I call family meetings for like the kids hanging around our house all the time. Family meeting. All the, I think all the kids have to like come to where I am. And I'll be like, I heard this word. Does anybody know what that word means? Well, no, actually, it actually means this. And this is why we don't use it and blah, blah, blah. So I, I say anytime, anytime they do something and, a, and an adult is within earshot, quite often kids know. And if they don't hear anything, then they, they quickly make assumptions about what it was that they just did. And then they may be more likely to repeat it or accelerate it, whatever. So yeah. yeah, I parent, I parent other people's kids all the time. And I hope other people parent mine because <laughs> we can't, we don't have eyes and ears everywhere. Right. We don't, we don't. And you know, I would like to be more a part of that community. I don't feel like that, you know, I, I've moved so many times, but that might be part of it is that, you know, we, we haven't been embedded deeply enough in a community for it to feel comfortable to do that. You know, right. for me to, to tell other people's kids what to do, even though yeah. I do offer guidance. Like I usually, you know, I will direct things more toward like my own kid if, if other kids are around, but I'm hoping. They See, it's funny. I think it's, I think it is. I think it is a unique situation. I think with my profession, I coached other people's kids for a decade before I had my own. That's right. right? Yep. And hundreds a year. So it's like, oh no, I can help kids. They need, they need to know what I have to say. <laughs> I'm stoked that you're doing that because I'm completely on board with the way that you are guiding your kids. I mean, when it comes to the way that you parent your own kids, I feel like we have so much in common. I tell my kids everything too. Like we talk about everything like ad nauseum, (laughs) you know, like they understand the real world, I think pretty well for kids their age because of the depth of conversation that I trust them with, you know? And to me, like I, you know, honesty with my own kids has always been an important priority for me because I want them to come to me and to trust me and to know that I'm not, you know, that I am honest and that also that I can hold their, you know, their, their burdens, um, you know, so absolutely. I want to be that first person they come to when they're faced with issues in, in the real world. And so, so I make myself a safe place. And I think when we are writing and speaking in an area that's taboo and that has so many tendrils that, like you said, go into social justice, go into misogyny, go into abuse, go into right. Mm-hmm. These different things sort of like keeps us honest I think like in our home life, like, am I being as honest and transparent? Am I, am I really practicing like what I preach or like the things I share? So Mm -hmm. I think that it creates even more opportunities to, oh yeah. Like if you worked at a bank, Danielle, you'd probably tell your kids fewer details about the work you do. Right. But when it's something that like has the, has the potential to be misunderstood or the potential to be stigmatized or like you know, even all these slang terms around these words, right? It creates an opportunity where we can really get super clear and specific with our kids about what is what um, and what things are gray areas, right? And like, what's not. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing to the most important thing for me to convey to your audience is that it's a series of conversations. Like it's not a one and done and you don't have to feel like super stressed. Like, oh my gosh, I've got to tell them all the correct information about cannabis all at once. And I have to know everything. That's not true. You just need to, you know, like pepper in those conversations, have frequent, you know, like touch base frequently, um, and, you know, and answer their questions. Like they, they might have some questions and, and, and model responsible use. That's the other piece of it. If you model responsible use in your home, just like, as we've been saying for years and years with alcohol, right. If we right. model responsible use, if we let kids have their first sip of alcohol under supervision, where we know they're safe like that, that to me feels like a pretty different story. Yeah. So it's, it's so interesting. It's so interesting because even in my mind, around talking to kids in cannabis, I sort of feel like, okay, yeah, we're like inventing the wheel here, but I'm Canadian, Danielle. There was alcohol <laughs> use everywhere right. when I was a kid, right? Right. Yeah. It was everywhere. Um, and that's like, sort of just like, a you know, a fun loving stereotype about Canadians too, is like, they like the beer, but all of these, all of these like stereotypes that are supposedly harmless, but then, you know, it can really, it can really put shade over things that maybe do need to be addressed and do need to be worked out. Okay. Do you think that there, do you think that there is um, a fear with parents that if they're using cannabis, their children are more likely to misuse cannabis or start earlier? Or like, what do you, what do you think the the common fears are around that? What are the conversations that you have um, with other uh, response, like people who advocate responsible cannabis usage? What, what do you think? Well, something that I have some an idea I've been playing around with recently that I think might have some credence is that um, a good way to help your kids not be interested in cannabis is to tell them how much you love it. Well, that's actually the thing I was asking. I I was thinking of when I was asking the question, right? Because it's like, not as cool. It's not as taboo. And like, I think that some of that appeal and sheen will be lost for them, to be honest. Um, But, you know, so, so, so there's that perspective. Um, But, you know, then on the other (laughs) hand, like, (laughs) (laughs) modeling, modeling, because you want them to emulate it or modeling because you know, they're going to run far away from it. Like, right. My right. This is almost 15. I get it. I, I, I get teenagers. Yes. Yeah. So, so there, there is that, but of course I don't want them to go to something more dangerous because cannabis can't, you know, can't kill you even in the largest amounts, you know, obviously people can do unsafe things with cannabis, but physiologically it's not going to depress the, you know, breathing or anything like that. Their heart, you know, nothing. So, you know, to the, to, to the point of, you know, of fatal overdose. And so like, I hope they don't ever go to anything more dangerous because cannabis isn't cool because it's mom's thing. Um, but <laughs> But honestly, you know, to me, like, I, I'm not, I'm not worried because I put so much premium, so much value, as I was saying, on creating that relationship with my kids where we are open and honest with each other. Stuff comes up at school with friends and they do tell me about it. And I, you know, I, I'm trying not to be too naive because my oldest is 12 and I know that, you know, teen years are a different thing altogether. But I think that, you know, establishing that baseline now will help them when they really need it, when they really are faced with something that they need to come to me about. 
you know, I want to, I want to know what's happening in their lives and I want to know if their friends are consuming and I want to know where they're getting that weed if they're consuming it. So, you know, it's just going to be a series of conversations. Um, I believe in the harm reduction approach, which is, you know, which is a, a way of dealing with the, you know, sex and drugs conversation with teens. And that's, you know, good education, proper, you know, knowledge about, about, you know, dosage and consumption, all that stuff. And, you know, with the general, you know, counsel of, please delay, you know, your use, please don't engage in any riskies, you know, um, you know, if you are going to consume, please don't engage in any risky behavior when you do, you know, call me if you need me, that sort of thing. So I'm not, yeah. you know, overly concerned about teenage use of cannabis because of all of these, you know, relationship factors and harm reduction factors that we have there. Um, but, you know, it's something to, to, to stay in conversation with, you know, your teen, with your teen about for sure. So I haven't, I haven't read any studies about this recently. I've just heard other people um, just cite this and I was eavesdropping because yeah. I'm pretty good at that. Um, okay. And I really need to find <laughs> this. I really need to find this. But when they said it, I was like, that feels true. So, okay. Hmm. What they were saying is that teenagers are having less sex than ever than, than like, since they started studying how much sex teenagers are having. <laughs> really? Yes. So much of their communication is online and they hang out in groups. Mm-hmm. And this is what I see. This is what I see from, you know, my, the couple generations of adolescents who I coached and even seeing in my own kids who are just 15, 13 and nine. But I think of like myself when I was 15 and the seriousness of the relationship I had at that time mm-hmm. and all of those things, like, it's like, I was on a different level, like in a different place than my kids are now, like really yeah. so much. So I wonder too, I wonder too, if I just feel like kids are home more well, or it's supervised more right? <laughs> yeah. than, than before. So I don't know, touch what, I don't know if I'm being naive, but I, I feel like I could have gotten into so much more trouble if I had a cell phone at that age, but my kids are really so much more supervised now yeah. than teenagers were back, you know, mid nineties, which I think was like the very best time ever to be a teenager. To be a teen. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I should try to do, I should try to do some like, um, astral travel, Danielle, to go back and be a teenager who smoked weed, I probably would have had more fun. Okay. Tell me about this. Tell me about inhalation. Tell me about like health. Talk talk about lungs because whenever I think of inhaling anything in my mouth, I see like the charred lungs that we saw in health class. Right. Yes. That's what I see. Yes. I know there's such a fear and stigma about smoking cannabis because of how toxic tobacco and, you know, the cigarette, the whole tobacco industry has been too. cannabis smoking. Cannabis has not been associated in studies with lung cancer specifically. Um, when people smoke both tobacco and cannabis, then lung cancer tends, you know, to be more prevalent, but when it's just cannabis, no, however, you know, it's not, ideal for your lungs to regularly inhale hot mat, you know, somewhat particulate matter. Obviously it can yeah. be irritating. It can cause, you know, some inflammation, some, you know, phlegm, things like that, a smoker's cough. Um, you know, I say that moderate usage of, of even just smoking is pretty low risk, but if you're going to be consuming a lot, you know, multiple times a day, then probably smoking is not what you want to do each time. Um, right. And let's so, just look at, let's just look at volume too, right. For like typical smokers, like uh, what was, I feel like smoking is in the past, even though like that's not, but anyway, <laughs> half a pack a day, a pack a day or something like it's a lot of 
cigarettes. That's a lot of cigarettes. That's a lot of inhaling. Whereas with cannabis, yes, it's, it's the, the volume is much lower. So, you know, two to three puffs could be plenty and that, you know, would last somebody for, for hours. For even. hours. Right. Okay. Okay. So like the volume, the volume is different, okay. quite different. Um, but you know, there are other ways to inhale that are less, um, you know, that are less harmful on the lungs that don't involve smoke. So vaporizing is the one that I actually, um, recommend it's not vaping. So okay. vaporizing is where people have the actual flower, the cannabis material, the bud, and they put it in a device called a vaporizer. It's got a little like heating chamber. It heats it up, but it doesn't combust. It doesn't light it on fire. It heats doesn't it enough to it. release, doesn't burn it. So enough to release a vapor that, you know, that you inhale and that has all the cannabinoids and terpenes in it. And the flavor is actually really nice. It's more sort of like, you know, terpene rich and, you know, planty feeling, whereas smoking has obviously that thick smoke feel. Okay. Question. I think I have friends who get like, are they like oil cartridges or something? So that is Is the third category and that's vaping. That's vaping. So vaporizing is where you use the cannabis plant, use the flower and you turn it into, you know, use this heating chamber that turns it into a vapor. And then vaping is with these these liquids, these vape cartridges. Um, And, you know, I mean, those are, those are nice because they're discreet. They're easy to use. You basically just, you know, they're often disposable pens, not great for the environment, but they're often disposable pens, or you get the cartridge and the battery separately, just screw it on put it up to your lips and, and inhale as much as you want. And then exhale, super easy, not, um, n- you know, no smoke smell. It's quite discreet, but we don't know the long-term effects of vaping on the lungs. And there was that, I don't know if anybody remembers pre COVID, there was this vaping crisis where some people were dying from, from vaping. Um, and it was just, uh, well, we, we surmise that it was because of additives that were in these vape cartridges, not the THC, not the tobacco, because people vape tobacco too, but it was this vitamin E acetate that was in there um, that was causing major lung problems for people. So to me, it's like, it's, it's a little bit of a gray area, whether I recommend vaping. I think that, you know, it can be good for that discrete, um, you know, factor, but not necessarily long-term lung health. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Question. When you're getting the actual cannabis flower. Do you weigh it? Do you pinch it? How do you know, Danielle? This is like, I've never had a baggie clearly. (laughs) Well, I don't come in baggies anymore. Okay. Fortunately, and you know, in, in states with, in states with adult use markets, they come in like beautiful glass, you know, containers with branding and, you know, just like, it looks like so appealing. And in other places they come in medicine bottles, right. You know, if like, if you're in a medical only state, it'll come in a medicine bottle um, and everything in between. So, you know, if, if I'm going to smoke, I just, I have my smoking device, which is my bong. And I didn't start out with a bong. Believe me, I started out with vaping because it felt so easy you know, easy entry, mm-hmm. you know, low level of experience needed, but I've graduated to a bong because, <laughs> because, bong. Got it. because uh-huh. the water part actually cools down the smoke and it makes it so much smoother for me. So I, I really okay. appreciate that. And I, and smoking is my preferred mode of consumption, but I do use edibles. I use low dose edibles. I use topicals. I, you know, I like to use cannabis in all kinds of different ways, but you know, it's just like a pinch, just, you know, just a little pinch, um, enough yeah. to get enough smoke for an inhalation or two or three. Um, and yeah, no, I, I don't weigh it or anything like that. I don't roll joints. I'm not a joint smoker. So, you know, in that case, people grind it and then they, you know, lay it out and do their okay. little rolls. <laughs> and all of our friends smoke weed, Danielle, all of our friends, 
all of my, all of his best friends, all of my <laughs> sewing friends, right? Like we're always <laughs> the ones who just don't partake. Um, That's until, until I was like, I think I need a little help here with this, that their anxiety. Cause I always just thought it was stress. I thought just busy people feel like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like a sign of caring and doing and being. And I was like, yeah, yeah I don't, I don't really care if it's a sign of that anymore. Like it doesn't feel good in my body. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where I like, couldn't keep myself busy enough to not feel it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't know. And I was like, all right, need some support. and can't exactly remember how, but one of my, one of my friends in Canada had like CBD oil that she was sourcing up there. And I was like, send, send it down. And then I've had CBD from local farms around here and things like that. But truly, truly, truly having that tiny bit of THC in there really feels good. Really it does. And I I mean, that's a great point that you, you brought up, you know, people, I think generally think that if you consume cannabis, you're just going to get high. There's like one way to feel, but there's a large spectrum from not high at all, just like a little bit relaxed to high AF, right. And then everything in between. And my sweet spot is like more on that, you know, moderate microdose place where the alteration to my senses is, is mild, but you know, I just, I feel more like myself. I feel more in tune, more in the moment, more at peace in my body, more able to listen to my kids, you know, as they talk for 45 minutes about Minecraft or whatever, you know, right. That's how I use it. And that's how I like it. It just like, like I said, brings my brain down, like just one notch. Otherwise, like I want to start like seven new businesses, like before breakfast every day. (laughs) Who you on no planet. Is that a good idea? (laughs) It's just just not, but I'm really fiery. I'm really fiery. So like every new idea is like the best idea I've ever had. And like, I'm super excited about that. It's like, (laughs) it's like I'm running too high in some places. So just to go like, Hey, maybe four new businesses today, maybe (laughs) right? four new businesses before breakfast. Let's, you know, let's be realistic. Yeah. Just like, let's. bring it down just a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's what helps me. And because I love working, I'm an Enneagram three shutting off, shutting off from work mode. And like I, some people, I think I've heard this, Danielle, they just like relaxing. Like it's a fun (laughs) thing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you one of these people or have you heard this or is well, especially with cannabis? Yeah. 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 So when people are like, Oh, take a break, relax. I'm like, are you trying to accelerate my anxiety? Like that's not relaxing. Doesn't do it for me. Um, so having a support that just like goes, Oh yeah, maybe we could watch a movie. This is going to sound like an exaggeration, but that's life-changing. it is I hear you I hear you you well I mean I I observe from the outside how you know how how dynamic you are and how you really go for things and you work hard Ashley I see that you work hard and you know and you're having fun at it too though that's the great thing like you you, it's obvious that you enjoy it I love it I love it and I really enjoy the ability to like turn it off or just relax like to chill right? To just chill a little. 
it. Yes. A yes. little bit. Yeah. And we deserve it. And it's, it's like necessary. It, that sacred pause. It really is. It, uh, and that's what I like. It, it makes me feel more connected to Manny, to the kids, just to be able to just know I can reach for something that will just bring me down a notch. Right. And like mm-hmm. you said, I have meditate every day, journaling this, that I have my tarot cards. I have all of yeah. the things, right. That yeah. we do. But like I said, being a human on earth right now, it's like all hands on deck. Oh, okay. hell yeah. <laughs> so people should definitely get Danielle's book. Where else can people find you, Danielle? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram at Danielle Simone Brand. My website is DanielleSimoneBrand.com. It um, needs an update, just FYI, but people can get in touch with me in either of those spots. I'm on Facebook here and there. Um, but yeah, Instagram and, and my website Instagram are the best, really the best spots. Anytime I post a picture of my bookshelf and your book is there, I get so many questions about this, Danielle. I know people are so curious. That's what I said. The Can of Curious Woman's Guide to Healthier, Relaxation, Happier Parenting, and Chilling the Fuck Out. Yes. And we have a section on sex too, right? Absolutely. Got a chapter on sex where I tell a little bit of my own story too. And, um, you know, for your readers, there's plenty of personal narrative in there, a little bit, um, a little bit scandalous um, at times, but, you know, I wanted to be real. They, they are here for the scandal, my people. They like it quite a bit. <laughs> All right. They like it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, because we we all got a little scandal. We got a little, we all have a little scandal in the closets, honestly, don't we all? I, I mean, think so. Thank you so much for being here, Danielle. Thank you, Ashley. This episode is coming to an end, and I don't want it to finish before you take action. Take a screenshot of this episode and text it to your spouse. Let them know you're thinking of them and how you can better your relationship. If you both need a little hand-holding, grab Keeping It Hot, the workbook for fun, low-pressure conversation starters to get to know each other on a whole new level. Or if you want to rip the Band-Aid off, if you want your dynamic with your partner to take a leap forward while you also dig deeper and fast, read Swing. The audiobook is on Audible, and I narrate it. You can also request the paperback or the ebook from your local library. Whatever action you decide to take, be proud. It takes courage to move the plot of your story forward, even just a little bit. And small steps every day really do add up. Keeping It Hot with Ashley Renard is a production of Manitoba Woman Media, produced by Elizabeth Krauss. Original music by Echo Drop. Production assistance by Lauren Petraglia. <laughs>